Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dauber Prospects Report. This is report number 42. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here. And with me is Peter Harling. How are you doing, Pete? El Nuno. I'm good, man. I'm good. How was your weekend? Oh, it was pretty good. I was working on, I was directing a conference. So it was, it was good, but it was not restful. So I am a little tired this morning, but it's all good. How are you doing? I am good too. I think I had more fun than you on the weekend. I went to a couple hockey games. Can't beat that. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I think, I hope, I was just thinking about this. I hope people enjoy this type of episode because I think it's kind of interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about that eye test that you got to see some of these prospects in person. And of course, you know a little bit about them too. And then juxtapose that a little bit versus the analytics and kind of what some of the underlying numbers show. Because I think we all agree that it's not one or the other. You need a little bit of both and Sometimes one tells more of the story than the other, but it's good to have good to have all us. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you're digging what we do here, we'd be happy to do more episodes just like this. So give us some feedback. Let us know. Before we get started, I want to remind you that Dover Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the Army of Fantastic Hockey Podcasts. Please check out at Hockey Podnet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy, team coverage, you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN to listen to the show. More on that in a bit. And the DPR show is proudly sponsored by Fantrax. Fantrax is the ultimate league manager for any dynasty sport you play. Completely customizable for however you want to set up your league, from scoring categories to an amazing draft room to host the draft, draft pick trading, treasury options, so you don't have to track down all that money yourself, plus so, so much more. Use the promo code to sign up for a free league using the link Fantrax.com forward slash DPR show. And with that, take it away, Pete. You have, you kind of made the list for this episode because you it's the guys that caught your eye. So who was the first one? Yeah. All right. So the first game I went to was Friday night and that was Owen sound. Um, both games were in Kingston. So we'll talk about a bunch of France guys. Cause I know them real well, but we're going to start with a player from the Owen sound attack. And that would be my boy, my first round pick Colby Barlow. What a fun player. First of all, like I watched him very closely in the warmups at the start of the game and it was really endearing he looked like he was just having a great like the time of his life he was having a good time he's got a big smile on his face the whole time he's playing with the puck he's taking shots they had the music playing loud in the arena during the warm-up and he's like bopping around and dancing and singing with his teammates and just permanently smiled reminds me a little bit that way of of jerome ginla how that guy was always smiling and looking like he was in a great mood. It's really magnetic and and charming. And it's someone that you, you want to know and hang out with. Right. So I like that. I like his off ice personality. Once the game started though, he was all down to business. Uh, I saw him play last year when they came through, they're a Western team. So I only see them once a year. And so I'm kind of juxtaposing what I saw last year versus this year and things that, that improved or stood out in either either game. I think his offensive production this season is a little little muted compared to what he did last year. Last year, what really stood out to me was his size. He looked really big compared to the rest of the players out there. And this year, it was his his skating. His acceleration had some pop, and he really showed some good breakaway speed a couple of times. And that's something that I wasn't really sure about last year in the game that I saw. But like what I saw on Friday night, he showed some really quick hands a lot this year as well. 
he was able to pick up loose pucks very frequently. You know, in the neutral zone, things get a little bit bouncy and, you know, dump outs and pushbacks and interceptions of passes and stuff. But anytime one of those plays happened around him, he always seemed to be able to quite quickly and, and seamlessly corral the puck and then do something productive with it for Owen Sound. Bouncing pucks, stealing pucks away from guys who didn't have total firm control. He was that that was a real standout trait in his game. So I'm not sure if that's something that'll translate to the higher levels, because as he moves up, there'll be less less players that fumble the puck than what there are in the Ontario Hockey League. It's a good skill to have, of course, but I, I don't think it's going to be a real advantage maker for him going forward. He really showed good hockey sense in both the games I've seen. That's something that stood out to me on, on both viewings. He's really smart at sort of fading away and finding open ice and then timing it really well. When you're a, a star player like that, you get the attention of of the defense on the other team and they look for you. So you have to you have to be elusive and creative in ways that you can kind of fade off and not look threatening and then all of a sudden have quick strike ability where you step into the slot or the house or just kind of like push off the defender and right when timing it when the puck comes through for for tips or rebounds or catch and release shots and passes and stuff there were some questions in his defensive zone play and i'm not sure from the two games that i've seen live and what i've seen of him in tournaments and stuff and on tv if it's from a lack of vision or a lack of interest, there are times when he backchecks and is efficient and covers the point well. And then there's other times where he's less efficient, kind of stands around a little bit. So that's that's a little bit concerning. I think that's a coachable deficiency or a correction that can be made through through coaching as he moves up the ranks. Didn't really hit the score sheet on Friday night, but what I saw was basically a player with the skill level and a tool package to be able to put it all together and be an impact player in a in a top six to middle six role in the NHL. I think he's going to take a little bit more incubation time. He'll have another year in junior to play after this one. And then and then I think you'll have a, a year or two in the American Hockey League, too, before he's challenging for an NHL roster with the Jets. So that was kind of my take on on Barlow, Victor, the eye test, as it were. What do you say about Colby Barlow with your analytical slant? Yeah, well, that's great stuff right there. Appreciate that. And, you know, looking at some of his metrics, the PNHLE from our buddy Mason Black. He's been down a little bit. I think across all these metrics, it's been down a little bit. You just look at the raw production and it isn't quite where it was last year. Last year, he was also the captain of the Owen Sound attack. He doesn't have a letter this year. I don't know what's behind that. And his production was 20 points above a point per game last season. This season, he's just two points above a point per game. So, you know, whenever there's a downturn, you always have to wonder a little bit. Now, of course, a lot of that is probably just due to the overall team effect and they are doing much worse this year they're kind of towards the bottom of that midwest division so it, it might be just be a team effect but his PNHLE has him down as like under a second line potential kind of looking more like a middle six player where he looked like first line last year and that can still shift that isn't 
for sure or anything. Some of his comparables looking like a Matt Duchesne or a Max Domi, which, you know, would still be a pretty decent outcome, but it's not like amazing or anything. And his hockey prospecting, his star potential has shifted down from 39 to 19%. Some not great comps. In fact, most of his comps are just kind of, you know, replacement level or average producers. The only one that's really pretty good is a another former OHLer, Logan Couture, who is a star producer, but kind of at that bottom end of a star producer, you know, kind of like a 70-ish point guy, and obviously at the tail end of his career. I also pulled up some of his tracking data from Mitch Brown. It's not available for this year yet, unfortunately, but just looking at what he did in his draft minus one in his draft season, you you spoke a little bit about his defensive play. It has never really been his strong suit. In fact, it got worse uh, from his draft minus one to his draft season, so I'd be very interested to see how that is looking today. We did a whole episode with Mitch on what all these player cards mean, and, I, and I'm sure he would say this doesn't fully represent everything about his defensive game, so you can't like fully read into that and just say he's a he's a bad defensive player and, and measures some of the things that he is doing on the ice. And it's certainly it, it's certainly indicative of the team effect to, to some extent. But overall, his offensive metrics have grown and continue to grow. His transition game is good, and his overall impact on the game grew from year to year. So those are all really positive things. And yeah, I think, you know, I would I would be interested and wonder if anyone has any insight about, you know, maybe the, the team is just holding him back a little bit, or if I don't know if you have any insight on that. Does he have a lot to work with there in Owen Sound, or is it a little bit less exciting for him in terms of his ability to score? Because you can't fully hold that against him if that's the case. Well, he was wearing the C in the game that I went to. So he's still wearing the captain C. But yeah, they're they're not a great team. They've got Three other NHL drafted prospects, Petrovsky, Smith, Anaheim defenseman, and Gindon, a Montreal Canadiens prospect. They've got McHugh and the goalie, George, who are 2024 draft eligible prospects. But not, not a lot of household names on the roster outside of Servak Petrovsky and, and Colby Barlow. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's fair. So maybe not as much to work with. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. So I don't know why it says an elite prospect that he's no longer the captain because it doesn't have anything there. Well, maybe he wasn't right out of the gate, but he was wearing it in in the game. So. Okay. So let's talk about some Kingston Frontenacs players. I I go to Frontenacs games a lot and I almost never talk about them on the podcast. So let's give them a lot of lip service today. The first guy we'll talk about is a player I've really been keen on lately, Jacob Battaglia. So I really like his progression that he's shown in his second season in the OHL here. And this is his draft eligible year. Every game, this this quarter of the season, he's been doing something that makes me say, wow, or that was nifty. He's really coming into his own with his confidence and puck skills. Is a vast improvement in his puck possession game from his rookie season last year. This is a player who has at the start of the like last year he played on the fourth line in Kingston. He started on the fourth line in Kingston this year, and now he's on the first line and he's getting all the, the primary offensive minutes and deployment. So he's really worked his way up the roster. His puck possession game is very good. He holds the puck and finds plays at a level that's not recognizable to the guy that I watched last year. He's got really good vision and and hockey sense. He sees the ice really well and is creative. He's deceptive 
with his intentions with the with the pucks. Now, oftentimes, I'm I've always been able to pretty confidently predict what players were thinking and doing, and and that it usually comes to fruition. And that's always not always necessarily a good thing. Uh, but Bataglia is starting to really make plays that I wasn't anticipating him to make. He made a really nice one the other night where he had the puck in the offensive zone and he maneuvered his way around a player and got right into the the slot in the house. And it was a really good position to shoot from, but there was another player in front of him and I was, he really sold the shot, right? Like he got past the first player and then there was another, there's a little bit of a traffic jam in front and he put his shoulders down, like he was going to shoot. And you could see that the goalie came out of his crease a little bit, to take away a little bit of the angle and, and brace himself for the shot. And then he passed it off to the side to a player that I didn't even really realize was, was wide open at the side of the net. It didn't work out. They didn't score, but it was the kind of play. I was like, Oh man, that was awesome. And he's been doing that on a, on a regular basis. He's shown really good ability to execute zone entries. And then this is something that I think they Frontenex had a, a change in coaching this season where Luca Caputi is no longer the coach. And I think that was a good decision. They've been playing a lot better since. And one of the things I've noticed really improved is their ability to gain the zone. And a lot of that revolves around Bataglia. He's usually one of the players that's that's primary on that. The biggest knock on Bataglia has got to be his skating, though. And to kind of steal a line from Sebastian, it's raw. You watch him skate and it's like, man, what? Is this your first time on the ice, buddy? Because what are you doing? And he's got a really rigid stride. He stands up really tall. It looks like he's working really hard, but not really going. So there's a lot. It's it's improved significantly, which is scary. But there's a lot of work to go there still. But I mean, we've said it before on the show, right, Victor, that it's skating deficiencies are are coachable and correctable. And it doesn't ha- you don't have to turn into Paul Coffey to make it to the NHL. You just got to be good enough like Jason Robertson did. So we'll see if if that continues to improve. I mean, he's he's years away from the NHL. So he's got three or four years to develop his, his skating and, and refine and buff that right out. So that's a distinct possibility. But right now it's. It's the defensive zone can be hit or miss with Pataglia, I've found. Sometimes he can be caught just standing around watching or waiting for other people to do the work and, and get the puck and free the puck out to him. Now, in some cases, I think you have to have confidence in your teammates, right? You got to trust that they're going to win the battle. And then, and then when they do, you're available for a pass because you've been hanging back in the open ice and you're ready for them now that they've retrieved the puck. But sometimes he's got to do a little bit more, I think, to uh, to help them out with with those situations. He's a really good playmaker. He makes some really nice pass and creative passes too. You know, little drop passes, through the legs passes, blind passes, and they all mostly work out pretty well. His shot needs a little bit of, of refinement too. It's not bad. It's it's better than Frasca's. We'll talk about him. But all in all, his game has gotten a lot better. And I think this might be a player who, if he keeps trending the way that I've been seeing him go, might start getting into you know, higher round draft consideration. I'm not sure where he was ranked on the NHL Central Scouting's latest rankings for North American skaters. He was pretty far down. Well, okay, thanks. So 56 out of North American skaters. So that's probably closer to like 
I don't know, 80 range overall at best, which mm -hmm. third rounder, probably third, fourth. Yeah. Mid round, mid round player, which is likely where he's going to end up. But I'm, I'm saying there's a chance that if, if he can keep continue to develop the way he's developing and, and work on that skiing stride, he could find himself playing up to a, a third round range. So this is a player who's a little bit of a deeper deeper cut here victor and you know no one's really talking about him so i'm not sure what kind of analytical data you've been able to pull up to support or debunk my enthusiasm for this player but what have you got okay right not not as much as other players but i'm wondering you didn't see the sandbags he had tied around him skating around you didn't see those uh, what that was probably that would probably explain it don't you think no but i did see the ski boots that he mistook for hockey skates <laughs> Yeah, that, that rough skating can be an issue. Yeah, so he doesn't have as much, but he does have some tracking data from last year from Mitch Brown's sample. And it was actually really impressive. For a draft minus one player, his overall score was 62, which is really good, especially we should also mention that Jacob Paglia is a pretty young player. He's still 17. He won't be 18 until March 17th. So he's play. he's going to play most of this season, if not, you know, almost all of it as a 17 year old and but he's a big kid six foot 205 so that isn't an issue but but that youth and that maturity that can play a difference you know a lot of his cohort is you know five six months older than him but anyways last year his overall game was pretty good his expected goals and shots were pretty high and some of his transition game was really excellent some of his defensive and passing wasn't as good you spoke to maybe some evolution there and his and his mm -hmm. passing and his playmaking so I mean, this this sounds to me like a guy who could really have a strong second half, as you were kind of suggesting, and, and climb those ranks. And, you know, he's got the size. And, and again, we're always trying to project what this player is going to be, you know, four or five years from now. So it seems like there's a fair amount of potential there where he could end up having a strong second half and, and kind of develop into, a, you know, a decent NHL player, especially if some of these playmaking and shots and his shot can, can come a ways, you know, you mentioned Jason Robertson. A lot of people like to use that example. And and what Jason Robinson did have, aside from the skating, was a pretty elite hockey mind and, and a shot. So if you're, skating isn't good, some of the other aspects of your game have to be pretty great. And maybe that'll, maybe that, maybe Jacob Battaglia will have other traits that'll come up to that level. But yeah, he's, he's a pretty interesting guy. Not a whole lot else to say. And the other models don't even have him in there yet. So like hockey prospecting and the, Mason Black's NHL ranking doesn't doesn't have a, a book on him yet. So once they put him in, we'll be able to see, but nothing right now. Yeah, yeah. And you said he's six six foot two hundred and five pounds. I don't know. I, I've seen him in person, and you know, six foot two hundred and five sounds sounds pretty big. He doesn't look like that when you see him in person. He, I think, he's a lot lighter or leaner than two hundred five. That's just my my thoughts on it, but he's also got a little bit of a decent draft pedigree. But, you know, the front next picked him with their second pick 27th overall in the 2022 priority draft. So, you know, he's a decent high end draft pick for them. And I'd be very curious to see how the rest of the season goes for him and, and where he ends up on, on some draft lists. And if there starts to be some buzz about him, if there is, you heard it on the DPR show first. Next player, another Kingston Front next player is Gabriel Frasca. The last name might be familiar. There's been a couple Frascas 
come through the ranks. Another one came through from Kingston as well, who was recently signed as a, a free agent by the Pittsburgh Penguins as an overager about two years ago. And this is the younger brother of, I think it was Jacob Braska. This is Gabriel. And he's in his draft year with the France. He's ranked 37th by North American Central Scouting's North American list for their midseason. And Bob McKenzie released his midseason rankings today. And Frasca made the honorable mention list. So, you know, outside the top two rounds, I guess that would be. But, but on the cusp, pretty close. So he's only played 18 games so far this season. So that's a little bit disappointing that his production has been, or my viewings have been a little bit limited. But he is playing second line center for the fronts between Ethan Medina, uh, Buffalo Sabres draft pick from last year, and Chris Thibodeau. He's really good at carrying the puck and drawing defenders to him. Many times I've noticed him doing that where, you know, gaining zone entry or uh, working the cycle, carrying the puck up kind of towards the point or towards the slot and the defenders gravitate towards him. And then he dishes off with a sneaky little pass that you never saw coming. I think that is that's his his signature move so far. He often looks tired, though, which is a bit of a red flag for me. And. To be honest with you, Victor, I'm not really sure if it's like I'm, I'm not timing his shifts or, or watching him exclusively so much. So I'm not sure if it's that he's taken long shifts and then just looks tired by the, and that stands out. Or if it's a lack of conditioning or if he's just weak or a little bit of all of the above. But, it you know, maybe it's just the way he plays the game and he looks, but it looks like he's sandbagged out there quite a bit and. Not only does, it, does he kind of hunched over and, and look like he's gasping for, for air, but he's less effective. You know, he's easy to push off the puck or he doesn't have the same sort of pop or speed that he has at other times. So I'm a little bit concerned about his conditioning and he's hesitant to shoot a lot, too. He's certainly a pass first kind of guy, but he when he does decide to shoot, it's taken him too long do that and the window is closed or the goalie has adjusted right and he's kind of should have shot a half a second sooner so that's sort of what my my i take test is on gabriel frasca do you have any any data that you want to throw in on him yeah another guy without as much but it is interesting you mentioned his brothers he has two older brothers jordan is a 22 year old undrafted but signed by the pittsburgh uh, penguins and he is currently looks like he's gonna get some ahl times in the echl and his other other older brother jacob is playing for sue right now in the o and he's moved with barry before that both of his older brothers are big dudes six four 200 plus pounds and he's currently six foot 170 so that bodes well for him you know being a bigger guy and he's also a february 18th birthday so he's you know he's still got a lot of room to grow and yeah, I mean, not a whole lot in terms of the, he's not in any other analytic models, but last year, looking at his tracking data, I think it really supports what you said. Definitely a playmaker. His shots and expected goals were really low, but his playmaking and his passes to the middle and his slot pass success rate were all pretty good. His offensive transitions were good, but his defensive transitions were not as good. So like his control entries 
were good, but his exits were poor. So that just kind of tells me someone who likes to get into the offensive zone, but doesn't care as much about getting out of the defensive zone. And the rest of his defensive metrics weren't so good either. So overall, kind of as you as you described, I think the analytics support a lot of what you said there. A pretty decent offensive player, definitely pass first, drawing attention and being able to to pass pucks off. Uh, yeah, don't know about the the movement and the skating, but that's that is definitely a bit of a concern if that's going to be the case. So, but yeah, definitely an interesting player. Has brothers who older brothers who have size and you know maybe a little bit of pedigree although you know certainly not the you know not the big draft pedigree and uh, neither one of them were drafted so maybe gabriel will be because he certainly seems like he has the highest the the best chance well the other two didn't so and he seems like he has a pretty good chance being rated that highly by central scouting yeah well he was a first round pick by kingston so there's that and you know we're saying that he's a playmaker but He's got nine goals and six assists for 15 points through 18 games this season with the France so far. So that's a pretty decent point total for um, for a guy that's, you know, missed a half of the season so far. All right. So there's a couple other France players that we could talk about. A couple drafted guys. One more undrafted guy I want to talk about. And I'm not sure he's going to get picked. He went unpicked last year. But it's a player that's kind of a personal favorite of mine. So I'm going to give him some lip service here and some love. That's Malik McGowan. He's an 18-year-old. He was born in June 05. And, sorry, his rookie season, he only played two games. So he didn't even make the front necks, and they weren't that good. His draft year last season, he played 25 games. Pretty limited number of games played because he had a really bad injury where someone stepped on his arm and with a skate and and he needed surgery to fix that big 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 laceration on his arm it was it was a scary injury actually it was pretty brutal this season he's come back for his third year and 37 games in and at times i swear he's their best defenseman and i wouldn't be surprised if someone if some scouts out there are taking notice of of how his game has been and, and makes a late round pick and throws throws a dart at this player. He's worth a worth a shot. He's a really great hitter, first and foremost. He's not overly huge. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Dominic Machine that way in some of his his hits. When players are are trying to gain the zone on Kingston and you're coming down his wing, you had better keep your head up because if you don't, he will knock you out or into the bench. And with a thunderous hit, and it gets the crowd going every time. He's a bit of a crowd favorite. So he's a really monster hitter. I mean, the kid hits like a hammer. So easy to like that way, right? He's also really, really good defensively. He's excellent in the zone, defending the house, clearing the crease, taking sticks away, removing passing lanes. One of my biggest complaints about Frontenacs and watching them over the last couple seasons has been their lack of defensive responsibility in that area where there's just been so many times where there's been scrambles or scrums around the net and there'll be a player who's just left unattested wide open at the side and just gets the easy tap in from a pass or a rebound but not when Malik's on the ice he just uh, wipes all that away and just eliminates all of it his skating is really good he's got really good quickness a lateral range he gets around the ice really gracefully good acceleration and speed uh, from the back. 
carries the puck really well in transition. Not very often, but he's starting to do it a lot more this season. I think the coaching staff has started the season. He was one of, you know, he was getting top pairing minutes with Caputi. And now that they've changed coaches, he's in a third pairing. He was playing with Martin, no, Jacob Chromiak. Sorry, Martin Chromiak's younger brother, who's now with Kingston, offensive defenseman draft eligible this year. Pretty decent. But they've they've moved Malik down to the bottom pairing. So that's a little disappointing for me. But when they kill a penalty, Malik's on the ice. And when they get a power play, he's on the second unit. And late in the game and the end of the periods, Malik McGowan is on the ice. So I'm not really sure why they've got him in a lower pairing deployment here behind guys like Holmes and Ewans, but they do. Hopefully that changes as the season goes on. He's starting to show a lot more confidence offensively as well. Carrying the puck up the ice, making good long stretch passes, joining the rush, and making really good and smart offensive pinches when the opportunity arises. So I don't know, Victor, if you've ever get an opportunity to watch any OHL action in Kingston Front next game. But if you do, keep your eye out on this number 11 Malik McGowan kid. I'm a really big fan, and I hope that he keeps trending in the right direction and gets the attention of some scouts. Any any thoughts on Malik? Does I doubt there's any analytical data on this guy yet. Yeah, there's really not. Not 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 in Mitch's tracking data, not in the hockey prospecting or NHL ranking. But I did pull up some stuff. You know, I have access to instats, so there's some numbers that I can look at here. But yeah, basically he hits a lot, as you said. Not only the Thunders hits, but he's averaging over two hits per game and almost a block per game. So the peripherals are nice. His like Play driving doesn't look very good. You know, he's kind of right at that 49-50%, and his net expected goals are, are kind of negative. That may be more of a team effect, but, you know, he's he's probably, he looks here just more like a, you know, peripherals, depth defenseman kind of guy, not someone that's going to score a lot, but who might rack up some defense perif. So in like a really, really deep league where you can't find anyone that would be reasonable. But it's also worth noting that Malik is extremely young. He's a June 13th birth date. So he basically played his entire draft eligible season as a 17 year old. And then he's now 18. So, you know, he basically is a lot younger than his entire cohort. So a decent opportunity for someone like this to get drafted as an overager who's kind of caught up, you know, development wise to some of his peers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like him, and I hope that uh, that he gets a little bit of attention at the draft sometime. Uh, maybe he's a possibility to be, if he keeps trending and, and gets some offensive opportunity and plays in a top pairing minute, maybe as a as an eighteen or nineteen year old, or comes back as an overager, he might have to go the free agent route. But that's a possibility. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a five dollar bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So let's talk about another one last front neck player. There's a bunch I want to talk about, but you know, only so many uh, minutes in a podcast. So Paul Ludwinski, the second round pick by the Chicago Blackhawks. He's probably the front next top player, most prominent fantasy rostered player anyhow. So we'll talk about him. That's who I think most people want to hear about. He's a center. He's 5'11", 187. And as I mentioned, Chicago picked him in the second round, 39th overall in 2022. Now, I like Ludwinski, but I think a second round 
pick might have been a bit of a reach. I'll be interested to see what you have to say about that. He's a strong player despite his size. A bit of a fire hydrant or, you know, a bit of a, a bulldog that way. And he's a pretty good two-way player. And he keeps trying to carry the puck into the offensive zone with like a power move and split the D or just kind of put his shoulder down and and one hand on the stick kind of thing and drive the puck through. And seldom or never does it ever work. I mean, he's got really good speed. And like I said, he's a pretty strong and feisty player. So I'm, I guess that's a coaching thing that the front necks don't want to do the dump and chase. But I think Ludwinski would be really good at it. And he's also really good at establishing the cycle. And he's good on the cycle and working that. So there's a lot of times I, I wish that they would just shoot it in and, and let him chase it. He's dangerous shorthanded as well because like i said he's he's a aggressive tenacious forechecking player he's got good speed so there's a lot of times where you know he challenges the point and he's able to get his stick on passes or block some shots and creates shorthanded opportunities for himself nicely that way it doesn't always finish those opportunities though and i think that is perhaps the biggest concern with Lidwinski is i'm not sure that his overall offensive game in terms of projection to the NHL, has a lot of upside there. I think the best case scenario for this kid, if everything breaks well for him, I think you're looking at like a bottom six kind of player or more likely a career AHL player, in my opinion. Any analytical? I'm sure you got some stats on Winsky. Yeah, he's been drafted, so there is a little bit of information. Actually, when I first looked, I totally missed that there that there was some, but... Yeah, he is. He does have some in here, as as you said. Kana seems more like a bottom six guy. In fact, he is trending up a little bit, you know, based on this season having a little bit more scoring. Last season, he was a under a point per game. I'm I'm kind of surprised too that he was drafted where he was based on 43 points in 67 OHL games. Then last season, he continued to be under a point per game. Seems like there were some injury issues, though, because he only played 47 games last year. This season, he's over a point per game, so trending up. He's in the PNHLE model. He's like just under that or just at that second line potential, which is still only like a 43-point pace kind of guy. He has some comps of like Tyler Mott, Will Cooley, who's who's been really good um, for New York Rangers this season. And in the hockey prospecting model, he looks basically like he'd be an anomaly to be a star. He's down at 1% chance of being a star, but his NHLer probability has jumped up to 36%, which is still pretty low. Most of his comps are not that exciting. I think one that has some decent rhymes is Tanner Pearson. Tanner Pearson is someone who generally not someone you really want on your fantasy team, but might have some relevance here or there, depending on his deployment. And I have a feeling that's probably what Lewinsky will be if he makes it. He'll probably be mostly a middle sixer, but might get some good deployment at times, depending on how he crafts out his his deployment there so yeah definitely a little bit of a less exciting guy but i think Pete, we can move on to a really exciting one next can't we yeah that's enough for the front next the second team that they played this weekend was the saginaw spirit and they are loaded with star potential players i think so let's let's cut into that little chocolate box of goodies First player we should talk about is their 
draft eligible star Zane Parekh, the defenseman that's 17 years old and has over 20 goals and is just doing some bananas things. Let's start there. I only saw him play in two periods because he got a game misconduct after the second period. Right when the period ended, there was a bit of a bit of a scrum, a lot of conversation in this game. It was really chippy, but didn't turn to any fights or anything. So I guess he must have said something to the refs that they didn't agree with. And so he got the showers after the second period. But from the first two periods that I saw him play, the first and foremost thing that really jumped out about him for me was just how calm and poised he is with the puck. Like this kid has like a zero panic threshold. It's almost like there's no sense of urgency, but there is. He, he just looks so laid back playing the game. But at the same time, he's making really quick passes, quick decisions, moving his feet, getting around the ice. But he does it so, so cool and calm looking. It's, it's really uncanny. He's an excellent skater. I mean, it looks effort, effortless when he's out there. He's very fast and graceful and agile and quick and just makes it look like he's not even trying. And yet he's so efficient. Very heads up. On the point, he's looking for quick passes. He never fumbled the puck. He always makes tape-to-tape passes. I didn't see him shoot very much, to be honest with you, which was a little disappointing because, I mean, the guy's got 22 goals, so we'll just dismiss any concerns about shooting or lack thereof based on his goal scoring prowess on the stat line. I think it's safe to say the kid can shoot. Defensively, he was okay. Little soft on board battles, I thought. And in the first period, there was one where he really mailed it in and it cost him. He just kind of get it a flyby of the guy with the puck behind the net. And it got centered out and ended up in the back of the net for the first goal of the game. So that was a little bit concerning. But his D is so much better than other elite high offensive defensemen from OHL past guys like Ryan Merkley. Me had like non-existent defense. I'm not saying Zane Parekh has non-existent defense. I'm just saying it's a little passive at times. And it's not to say that he lacks the physical size or ability to do so. Because I saw him do that from time to time. He just, he doesn't assert that very often. And the Bob McKenzie's rankings that came out today, Victor, he was the ninth overall on the midseason ranking. And in the Dauber Prospects, midseason guide i talked about the 2024 draft eligible prospects from a fantasy perspective and from a fantasy point of view i ranked him sixth overall and here's what i had to say here's a little excerpt from that guide if you're interested in in hearing more about it or picking it up so zane parake this is a draft that's flush with talented defensive prospects breck is the most dynamic offensive player in the class of defensemen He's likely not the first defenseman selected at the draft, but in a fantasy draft, he should be. He's got decent size, six feet, and his skating is good, but not as, but not a great, but not great. And his defensive game is, is decent. Unlike some recent elite level offensive defenders, he's not a liability defensively. He is not undersized. We have seen players like Ryan Merkley turn into bust, but Parade compares closer to Tony D'Angelo but with no off-ice red flags or shenanigans. So that was my one-game scouting analysis on 
Zane Prick. We've talked about him on the show with some other experts, and I think we should do some analytical analysis to either support or debunk my viewings and just the overall report on Prick from an analytical standpoint. So what do you got for us, Victor? Well, there's no shortage of spilled ink on this guy because he is absolutely an exciting prospect. And yeah, you should go get that guide because you can read the words of the Peter Harling. That's that's reason enough to go <laughs> to go get that. And the El Nuno. <laughs> there are better reasons to get it, but those are two. So yeah, there's a lot of that about him. The analytics basically show, I mean, the PNHLE model, he looks like an absolute superstar. I mean, he's right now his PNHLE is like over a hundred, which you know, he's probably not going to be a 100-point defenseman. I don't think Mason would say that either. But, you know, he's got some really good comps. Charlie McAvoy, Ryan Pulak, Jacob Chikra, and that's in the PNHLE model. And, you know, last year he was still, like, over a first-liner, between a first-liner and a superstar. So it's all looking pretty good. The hockey prospecting model basically has him as, like, a 90, you know, 99% chance of being a star and an NHL or all of his comps are basically like Hall of Famers or absolute, you know, stars in the league. Chris Pronger, Ray Bork, Brian Burrard, Quinn Hughes. Actually, he looks better than Hughes in the so far in this model because Hughes, Hughes actually had a, a slightly not amazing draft season. It was it was really good, but it wasn't like what Break is doing right now. And and I think a lot of this is certainly buoyed by Saginaw hosting the Memorial Cup and loading up on talent, but he's also just a really, really great player. So the the comps there are maybe a little bit inflated. He does have a few comps that are like maybe a little bit lower, like like Patrice Brisebois. But eighty four percent chance of being a star, eighty nine percent chance of being an NHLer. Those that's looking pretty high. We do have Mitch's tracking data, both from last year and and this year. So what what you see here is a pretty interesting case that last year his expected goals and shots were a little bit below average, but his playmaking was already off the charts, even though he wasn't getting as many minutes. I do have that here too. So last year, well, he was getting 21 and a half minutes. He was still playing a lot last year. This year he's playing 26 minutes, but you know, it didn't, it transferred into 37 points and 50 games for Saginaw last year. Some of his transition data wasn't as good in terms of his exits, but his entries, his controlled injuries, and entry success was all really good. And if you look at that bottom part of Mitch's tracking data, the expected primary point involvement and game score, it was already off the charts last year. So there were some things that looked really good. But this year, the growth you can really see in the goal scoring. As you mentioned, 22 goals. And that's already more than he had last year. He had 21 goals. He had more goals than assists last year, which is kind of unusual for a defenseman. But this year, the expected goals and shots are like off the charts. He's basically has more expected goals per 60 than anyone else in the CHL. That's incredible for a draft eligible player. He's also making even more passes to the slot and his game score and point involvement are even higher. So overall, it's looking pretty great. His transition game looks like in this model, actually, that it took a little bit of a step back. But I don't know if that's actually true. The one, when you ask like scouts and when you listen to different people, people definitely have different opinions on Prick's defensive game. And I think that's going to be part of the question of how high he goes. Because I think there's no doubt, like what you said, in terms of the best offensive defenseman that you want for fantasy, it's got to be Prick. I think there might, there might be a couple other guys in that conversation. 
but I don't think he's going to be the first defenseman chosen, and that's because of his all-around game. Because some people will say his defensive game is passable to okay, and some say it's atrocious or non-existent. So you'll get different opinions on that, and that might depend a little bit on the viewing. Sounds like you had a very interesting viewing of him based on how the game happened. So we know that that can sometimes shift a little bit. But I think also that it's clear already that his defensive game is not as bad as Ryan Merkley's or some of these other guys that didn't quite make it. So some of that might just be coachable on the way that Saginaw plays. And I think that is certainly fixable. So I don't think that there's a bigger red flag defensively, but this guy break, you know, if you're, if your leagues really value offensive defensemen, then, you know, he's, he's going to be in that conversation of, you know, top three player going and certainly might be in the conversation for the next best fantasy player after Celebrini. He'll be he'll be one of those that you'll be thinking about. Well, he was definitely an exciting player to watch. And there were lots of them on second on, including Michael Misa. Let's talk about him. He got the exceptional status to join the OHL last year as a 15-year-old. It's hard to believe that this kid is is 16 years old right now when you watch the game. He doesn't look like a kid out there. He's granted exceptional status as I mentioned, and in that season he had 56 points in 45 games. This year, he's on pace for 83 points through 67 games, and he's not even draft eligible until 2025 next year. So he's not a draft eligible player this year. His slightly older brother is, though. Luke Misa, we talked about him last episode or the one before that. So watching this game, I was really excited to watch Misa, and I was expecting a really dynamic offensive performance from him. But what really stood out in this game, and it's just one game, most, was his defensive responsibility, which bodes well for his NHL future. He was really quick to fall back, back check, and cover for pinching or rushing defensemen. And I guess that's probably also got to be a product of the way that Saginaw plays. When Brock was on the show, he mentioned that that they play a really unique style. And he is not wrong. They are kind of all over. The defensemen activate quite a bit. Sometimes their face-off configuration is something I've never seen before. And, you know, if, if your team is going to play like that, then your forwards have to recognize and cover for the defense when, when they activate. And Misa did a lot of that. He was playing first line on the left wing with Owen Beck and Josh Bloom. And, you know, he didn't really have a standout offensive game, like I said, but he showed flashes of his skill level. He's got really soft hands. He handles the puck like, like he's been doing it his whole life. He can take any kind of pass that you throw in his general direction, which is a very translatable skill. He's really fast and excellent skater as well. He gets around the ice rather gracefully also. Obviously, he lacks a little bit of strength being, you know, significantly younger, but he's got pretty decent size. And I'm pretty confident that that strength will come as he matures physically. So, I mean, I didn't really see much of the offense in this one particular game, but you know, I've seen it in the highlight reels. Just do a search for him on Twitter and you'll see some of the highlight goals and, and moves that he's pulled off since coming into the OHL. It's it's pretty bananas. And seeing him being a responsible defensive player, just, you know, 
guarantees that he's NHL bound. And, you know, as good as you are offensively, if you're not actually in the NHL, you doesn't really help your fantasy roster. So this is a player I'm going to be really interested to see how his development goes. And this is a team that's hosting the Memorial Cup. So there'll be some big stakes games in the playoffs and in the Memorial Cup. And they've got a lot of really good players. And we'll talk about some of those veterans to support this team in the run here. But Mies is the one that I'm really, really most interested to see how he handles the high stakes and the pressure because we know what the other players are going to do. So what's the, what's the stats on Misa? Yeah. You know, I think it's always really interesting whenever these players get exceptional status, right? There's so much pressure that goes along with that. It's like, you have to be, if you're not the next, you know, Connor McDavid, then you're a bust. I mean, I think that's unrealistic expectations. So I think it's useful just to kind of step back and yeah, remember, as you said, he's still only 16. He's going to be, in a few weeks, he'll be 17, but still, still a young kid. Look, there aren't, he's not really in a lot of the, uh, the, the PNHLE or NHLE models yet, but looking at his tracking data, this is definitely someone Mitch has, has tracked really well over his draft minus two and draft minus one season. When you look at his draft minus two tracking data, this looks like a player who could have been drafted last year. Like he literally is that good. So there's no, there, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not surprising to see that he got exceptional status to be in there at 15 because his offense was already at 95th percentile in his draft minus two season. His transition game was at 76%. Now his defense was pretty poor that year. Um, really, quite frankly, one of the worst course he against you could see. So his defense was 13th percentile. He's bumped that all the way up to 74th percentile in his draft minus one season. So as you said, kind of a more complete player, right? Just a smart player. And that's kind of what you see in the tracking data this season is that basically up and down the tracking data, it, it all looks really positive for the most part. The one the one couple of standout in the in the not so good areas are his shots aren't so high, his expected goals aren't as high, and then a couple of his transition and defensive metrics are a little bit lower than expected. But overall, it's a lot of blue and the blue is good. So what you see in Michael Mises tracking data in the four games that Mitch has tracked so far is that it looks really, really good. And this is definitely a player who looks like he should be drafted in the, you know, first or second round this year, but he's not eligible yet. <laughs> so we have to wait another year and then we'll see where he ends up. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of scrutiny and focus on how he does. But right now, that's where he's looking at. 51 points in 41 games for Saginaw. And they they do score a lot. They're a really good team. So maybe some of those point totals are inflated. but if you look at one thing that I really like is the game score and primary point involvement for Misa. And that, that continues to look really, really good for him. So I don't really think that he's just looking into it. Yeah. Last, last year they were an all right team, but not as good as they are now. They're an all-star team pretty much right now. They had, they had Hunter Height and Sepavalov. I can't pronounce this guy's name. Shapovalov. Thanks. That guy. And, <laughs> and a bunch of other parts. Right. And then the game that they came through last year, unfortunately, he was injured for it. So I didn't get to see him last year. And kind of wanted my money back. But say, Levy, Parekh didn't play in that game either. So it was like, why did I even go? So that was disappointing. And now that they're a much better team this year, and he's got all kinds of support, you know, planned on a line with Beck and Bloom. And then you've got Height on the line after that. And then you've got Powerhouses on the defense with Parekh and Donovan and Dianichio. Dian- 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 I was getting there. So, you know, he doesn't, 
he's not getting quite the same amount of deployment, though he's still very good. And even though I think his role is a little bit more muted this year than it was last year, his point per game total is actually increased. He's on pace for, for higher production. So, so there's that. I, I think this is a player who's going to be a top 10 pick in the 2025 draft. And if he was eligible in this year's draft, I think he'd be in that, that range as well, just because, you know, he might not be scoring at the pace of some of the other guys, but considering his age and the runway he's got left and the development curve and projection for this player, I think the upside is is high star potential and certainly a player that if you're thinking about tanking next year and you're wondering what your options might be, he's a good one. All right. So I mentioned there. Are y'all done with with Misa? Yep. I can't wait to see how his equivalencies look, but I have a feeling he's going to be in that 99% area. Like he's he's going to be at, at or near the top. And I think, I don't know what all the other options are going to look like next year, but he, like you said, he's going to be like, I think at least top three in terms of maybe there's some other fours or defensemen that are pretty high, but you're going to have some really good options to choose from. And he's going to be one of them. Indeed. I mentioned there's a bunch of other good players on Saginaw. So let's, let's blitz through a couple of these veterans real quick. We've got Hunter hate who returns to Saginaw. And he is really impressive. He's a good all-round, versatile, two-way kind of player. He showed some high-level offensive vision and skill at times. He can play a physical game, if that's what you want to do. And I think that all puts together to be a very projectable, smart NHL player. He's really good at driving possession, combining his skill and strength and smarts. He was very influential on the play of the ice when he was out there he moved the puck quickly he moved it decisively he supported the play at a professional level he is just always in a in a, an effective position with or without the puck you know like he he was impressive without the puck as well which which is pretty important he supported the play with really good positioning for the cycle and on the power play and on rushes, you know, creating passing opportunities, getting into shooting lanes, just a, just a really good overall hockey player. What's what's the, the statistical take on Hunter Height? Well, I have to say that I'm, I'm a little annoyed with Hunter because I really, really liked him in his draft season. And I, I pegged him as someone who I thought could, because he's such a smart, well-rounded player, I thought his his scoring could really pop off in his draft plus plus one season. He was taken in the second round by Minnesota in 2022. And, you know, it it did a little bit, but not that much. He had 41 points in 63 games for Barry the year he was drafted. And then he got traded, which, I you know, I'm sure affects you a little bit. And But he had 51 points in 42 games in Saginaw after being traded, which is good, but not as good as i would have was hoping and then he basically has the same points right now so far with Saginaw, 51 and 42 so just i was hoping for more of a jump right and right now he's kind of hovered in the phle model he's hovering around that second line potential and i think it's kind of funny one of his comps is anthony sorelli which might be a pretty good comp because sorelli is a you know really good responsible two-way player that you know sometimes has some fantasy relevance and that might be what hunter hate ends up being not as super offensive but a reliable good for the team kind of guy and in the hockey prospecting model he actually looks a lot like brandon hagel who again you know maybe a little bit more scoring in the right situation so i think between those two guys that's 
that's probably some pretty realistic outcomes for Hunter Hate. Looking at the tracking data, it looked really good last year. With He only tracked the Saginaw games. He had 20 games with Barry before he was traded. And his offense and transition game looked excellent. His defense was a little weak. and But overall, the expected goals and, and assists were really good. And the game score and primary point involvement were good. So far with Saginaw this season, I'm, I'm a little confused because this is not who I think Hunter Hate to be, but his defensive metrics are awful. He's like 13th percentile. So that strikes me as a little odd, and I don't know what's happening there, but maybe just in the things that Mitch is tracking or just the way it, it's popping up, it doesn't look so good. But other things look even better. His offense looks better. His expected goals are off the charts. His, he's attempting way more high-danger passes and being successful at them. So some of that stuff is looking good. So maybe he's trying more offense and it's working better. I guess maybe that could be the silver lining. So yeah, that's what I think about Hunter, but I, I was kind of thinking that he might evolve into a bigger offensive talent. And I, at this point, I kind of don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be more of a middle six player. Yeah. From the game that I saw this week, I would, I would agree with that. We got time for maybe one or two more. Let's talk about Josh Bloom. He has an interesting case. He had a really strong final season in the OHL last year, graduated from the league and turned pro and had a handful of games in the American Hockey League and, you know, wasn't really effective. Got sent down to the ECHL, played a couple of games there, still wasn't very effective in the ECHL. And so Vancouver has decided to return him for his overage season back in the OHL. And he's been back for eight games now. And as a 20-year-old through eight games, and considering his track record in the seat in the league last year, I was kind of expecting a little bit more out of Bloom than, than what I saw. He's got eight points through those eight games. He's got first-line deployment with Beck and Misa. So quite frankly, I came away wanting a little bit more from him. And as someone who's got him rostered on my prospect bench in one of my leagues, that's pretty disappointing. He didn't really stand out, but I mean, it was just one game to watch. So I, mean, I don't even I didn't even write anything down about him. And there was a couple shifts where I isolated on him and I was just watching him specifically. And, you know, there wasn't anything bad or egregious. He gets around all right. He was competing hard, but just nothing really nothing really popped out, which which was a little wanting. What's your take analytically on on Bloom? What are we what are we looking at here? Is this a guy who we thinking is kind of be a bust? He's had a shot at the pro level, kind of flamed out, and now he's gone back to junior as an overager. Yeah, I think you're going to be wanting with this guy. I kind of feel like maybe we shouldn't have ended with him. It feels like a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a downer to, <laughs> to end on. But yeah, if, if, I think one of the things I love the best about Mason's app, and if you go look, you can see the trend of the PNHLE. And it, and it basically peaked in the last two seasons. He was kind of peaking at what looked like maybe a second line potential. And then it just fell off hard this year. He, he, he looks clearly like a bottom six or maybe not even an NHLer. The hockey prospecting model has him as a 7% chance of being a NHLer at this point and a 0%. He's been 0000% chance of being a star for the last four seasons. So I don't think he's going to be fantasy relevant and I'm not even sure he's going to be an NHLer. So wah, wah, wah. All right, let's finish on a, on a different player. I don't have any notes for any of these guys, but Owen Beck or Dionicio, who do you want to talk about? Well... Uh, you've given me the chance to talk about Dean Ichio. I'm going to pick him. 
All right. We talked about him a little bit on our World Junior episode. Seeing him live, first thing I noticed was, wow, he's pretty big. Like he was a not six foot seven kind of guy, but he just looks big on the ice and like a strong player. And he's really good two way. They played him on the second unit power play. They went with four forwards and Parekh on PP1, and he and Jorian Donovan were the, the D on PP2. And, you know, he's he's got a taste for the offense. And I say he's a two-way player. Usually that means they're more defensive than offensive. And because he's kind of big and because they've got Parekh, I, I think his his utilization in Saginaw is, is definitely kind of more in the, the two-way zone. But we saw some flashes at the World Juniors of his offensive upside. And, and I could see it in the game on Sunday as well. What's your what's your thoughts on this guy? Yeah, well, we talked about some of his tracking data at the World Juniors. It was incredible. I think what what was so impressive to me is that I, I we've seen this before players on sort of not the best teams and and they seem a bit overwhelmed, which I think is understandable <laughs> if you're a team and you don't have a lot to work with and you're one of the better players in the tournament, but you're playing with you know, not that good at teammates and you're playing the Canadians and the Americans and the, you know, Swedes and the Finns. It's rough out there, right? It's rough to to drive play. But one thing I, I found really impressive about Dionicio with the Swiss is that he didn't seem overwhelmed at all. He seemed like, like he was fine. Like he was still pushing play, making incredible moves and, you know, really driving the play with without very much assistance or help at all, which I, I think was super impressive. And looking at Mitch Brown's tracking data, and we talked about the tracking data from the tournament, but his CHL tracking data is just bonkers. If you haven't looked at it, you need to look at it. It is incredible. I mean, basically, almost everything he's doing is like the best in the league. It's crazy. So his expected, overall, he's at 100%. So he's 100th percentile, basically, player for the OHL, which means he's just basically too good, too good for the OHL. His offense is at 100, his transition game is at 99, his defense is at 84. So maybe there's some work to be done there. But the, I, I kind of find like the most telling parts are the miscellaneous, which is the boards played at the middle, which is a really translatable skill. The advantage is created for 60, the primary point involvement and the game score. And all four of those bars look like they're just trying to escape the page. They're all statistically the best in the CHL. That's bananas. So Rodwin Dicho is just really, really good. And the Ducks just found themselves another one. I mean, I think he and all the other defensemen that the Ducks have were a big part of the reason they felt totally comfortable moving Jamie Drysdale for Cutter Gauthier. They have just an embarrassment of riches on the back end. And I think that there's no question in my mind, Dicho is going to be an NHL player. The hockey prospecting model has him at kind of more of a subdued chance of being a star. And that's partially because his OHL numbers weren't so crazy in his draft minus one season. It's improved a lot, but it has him looking more like a Justin Falk type of producer, which is still great. Not, you know, amazing. Like, I don't think Dianicho is going to be, you know, Kel McCarr or Quinn Hughes, but I mean, who is, right? But he think he's going to be a really solid producer. He's going to play a lot of minutes. He's going to put up some pretty good counting stats and be pretty darn valuable for someone who was drafted in the was it the fifth round. Yeah, fifth round, 129th overall. So, Pete, you made a mistake. And 
and let me talk about Dianichio, and I just can't stop myself. That's all right. He's got tough not to crack to get into that Ducks blue line. So I'm also convinced that he'll be an NHL player, but some things are going to have to give in order for that to happen for the kid. But he's so good, I, I could see him playing his way in there. Not in the top pairing role, but in a really, really excellent supporting middle pairing defenseman role. That's that's a good upside for him, I think. And good news for the listeners, he's only 3% Fantrax rostered. So Lura is a lot of Fantrax ownership option with this player. You have to wait a year or two. I mean, he's a bit, a bit of a long-term investment here, but uh, I think it's a, it's a gamble that should be worth the payoff because he can also give you some peripheral stats too. All right, well, that's pretty much it for this episode report number 42. We got the CHL Top Prospects game coming up this week in a few days. And so next week's episode, we're gonna. I'm excited to announce that we'll have Scott Wheeler from The Athletic coming on. He goes to the game every year. I've seen him there a couple of times and we always chat and he's good enough to come on and, and give us his thoughts on what he's going to be seeing at that game. So <clears throat> be sure to subscribe and download to this show if you haven't already done so, so you don't miss wheels on our next show. You want to have any questions for him or mailbag questions in general about prospects or kind of let us know what you thought about this episode and episodes like it. Hit us up. DPR underscore show is our Twitter handle at DPR underscore show at Farling at Victor Nuno 12 and at Sabarin 91, who is our talented producer. Go ahead and give us a follow. Also check out HockeyPodNet on Twitter. Lots of great shows there for you to listen to. That's it for now. Give us a five-star review if you haven't already. Keep your stick on the ice and we'll see you in the rink. Is that goal regulation size or what? Gee! Let's do that hockey.